My guest today is Maria Ortega Garcia. She is an embodied language coach and poetry therapy practitioner. Maria helps her clients to express themselves in an authentic way rather than solely through imitation and to find resources within themselves. In our conversation, we talked about her love for learning different languages. She believes language allows us to discover more about ourselves and connect with others more deeply. We talk about some of the blockages we face in life and how evoking emotions can help us to be more expressive. We touched on the topic of nonviolent communication, how replacing judgmental language with empathy-centered language can help improve our relationships with others and with ourselves. She also gave a great tip in the terms of how non-native speakers can be more spontaneous in their conversation, emphasizing the importance of slowing down and breathing naturally. We talked about identity, projection, fear and its effects in our life. Maria also talked about her book, Weaving Words, The Alchemy of Languages. We start our conversation with Maria introducing herself. Um, well, I am an embodied language coach, which is um, kind of a communication coach and a language coach. I help students, or I help people who are learning uh, a language or relearning a language for heritage language cases. And I help them find um, ways to express themselves um, really in an, an authentic way um, rather than just you know imitate um, what they see in in or what what they are told in books or when imitating accent from movies you know or in, imitating the accent of the of the language itself so what I help them is to find you know um, to I give them tools to to find the resources within themselves um, and for that we work with embodiment practices you know um, mindfulness practices um, and writing so I am also a poetry therapy practitioner and so poetry is for me is the way I, I access the language because English is not my my native language um, and Spanish so for me the way I found authenticity um, and I found my way to be to express confidently in English was through poetry yeah. and that's that's something that um, I do with my with my clients. So you also speak uh, French, German and you also learning Celtic. Yeah <laughs> well I don't a German uh, I cannot say I speak German that's <laughs> something I'm, I'm learning what well, I was learning um, but yeah it's, it's um, was a difficult language for me. I do speak French and I am learning Irish at the moment just um, because I love languages and I love the what it opens up not only obviously the the, the main thing is that it opens up doors you can travel and connect with other groups of people but also what it is more interesting for me is what opens up inside of us yes. kind of we access different parts of ourselves that um, just come naturally when you start thinking in another language 
you know, that, that different mindset that exists in the language kind of it is embedded in you kind of a, a different um, computer program <laughs> so it, it allows you to, to think in a different way and that for me is 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 just so so interesting and what inspired you to work with non-native language speakers to find their voice it, because uh you know i I grew up believing that I wasn't good at languages. <laughs> First really? of all, because I, yeah, because I, I used to be a really shy person. So speaking, using my words <laughs> um, in groups was really, really hard. And that has a consequence that, that, that even in my native language, I wasn't great. I could write in Spanish very well. I could write in, I could write in, in my native language very well, but I couldn't really use it verbally because I was so shy. And then I started learning English in school and it was not a great experience. I could never, I could pass all my exams or my written exams, but I was not able to communicate verbally in the exam or when I was uh, traveling. So I remember the first time I traveled to England um, <laughs> I, I couldn't have conversations like the words that I I could read books but I couldn't use my words so there was something there I realized that there was some missing um, there was a gap between how the language was taught and how I could use it like I couldn't use it so obviously there was something wrong and I refused to believe that it was me <laughs> because I think that yeah well at the beginning I, I thought it was me but yeah over, over the years I thought well no it cannot be me there is something here that it is missing in the education uh, I received or, or or there is something in within me in my mindset or in there is some blockages mm. I have that my teachers are not seeing and then that's why I started um kind of exploring what was going on why I couldn't use my English use my words and it ha I, I happened to realize that it had nothing to do with the level of the language I had it happened it, it yeah that's very interesting because so I, I, I I get a very high score in IELTS but still I find it sometimes it's hard for me to um, apply all those vocabulary and grammar and not make a mistake. And maybe sometimes in a different situation, it become harder, but I stopped just judging myself. So I just totally accept yeah. the way I speak. Yeah, and that is part of the thing. It is um, kind of understanding that there is, um, that we are judging ourselves, that we, are, we have this ideal of the language that it is out there something that we have heard or we are told that that is the, the, the proper way of communicating in a non-native language and we we try to get there um and in trying to get there we are in a way blockaging our own expression in the language so there has to be a non-judgment element starting when starting with the way i speak the language as long as I have enough words and structures and all that, the way I use the language is perfect. And nobody can tell me that it is not. And then from there, you, you work on other 
in on other things is how to to have more words or how to be more authentic in your expression but that's another another layer and what do you mean being authentic with language okay. when i talk about authenticity is when i can communicate in a non-native language using a vocabulary or, or words that are meaningful to me but that, that are still um, that are that still make sense to the other person I'm, I'm, and that comes from emotions or being able to express emotions being able to yeah for me I'm talking about a, an evocative language something that evokes an emotion or an image in me and that is still also understood by the other person so you mean by being authentic just being yourself exactly being yourself and sometimes we find uh, challenges or I found with my clients and with myself um, because there is on occasions we are trying to be so correct that we are trying to translate our ourselves and our jokes and our ideas into the other language and that cannot I don't think that's possible because yeah. humor for example is a very cultural thing <laughs> right so if we have or um, depending on the culture that we belong to we have different ways of seeing what's humorous what's what's funny and I think it is necessary to to not trying to change or adopt another um, way of of seeing humor so for example I find that um, British humor is is not my thing I, I don't find it funny so should I try to adopt those jokes when they are not really my thing or I can or or should I be able to express the way I, I am humorous I may and of course the problem here is that sometimes the other person doesn't receive the humor in the same way yeah. they don't find it funny so what do we do with that how do we deal with this situation when you're trying to be funny you're being funny being yourself and the other person doesn't really get it what, what do we do Exactly. It works both ways, though. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, as you mentioned, if um, an Irish person say a joke, probably I can laugh because I, I don't get it. I had to ex ask them, could you please explain that joke to me? What's that mean? And then, yeah. and then I understand where it's coming from. It's come from most of the time from the culture. Yeah, and it is exactly, it is the curiosity. So I think it is very important um, to bring curiosity into the conversation when we are talking um, with someone who is who has a different language and I find that and I don't know what your experience is um, but I find that sometimes when we are living in a country that is not our own and we are using a language that is not our native language um, if someone tells us a joke we ask um, I don't get it can you explain it to me and then we do get it um, but does, does it work the other way around like it, the, the, the trouble would be or the ideals would be that the native person is asking you when you're telling a joke that doesn't make sense to them is oh can you explain it to me instead of kind of shutting down or just assuming that is wrong or assuming that is weird so it is, it has to be reciprocal, the, the curiosity. Also body language helps 
I think. Um, sometimes you say something, but the way you're saying it, it's funny itself. So um, that's one, one thing I noticed. I used to uh, hear the joke and smile with people or laugh, but I didn't get it. But I learned over time to not do that. So just, it's okay to tell them you didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is honest. Like, I think um, I, I do relate to that. So I, I am a recovering people pleaser person. So <laughs> just to not offend, I'm just going to smile just so um, they feel okay. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. There is so much more when we are in communication, body language is essential. And sometimes I think that we get very caught up in, in using the language correctly when I think that we, we can be or we should be able to be more fluid in our expression. We can bring words that are um, coming from our background with, from our mother tongue in, in the conversation because we are also using our body and we are pointing and depending on the culture we belong to. And I think both of us probably <laughs> are using a lot of our body and our gest gestures. That is part of the communication. Exactly. And that helps. And it, does, it only requires the willingness from both parts to communicate and connect. Hmm. I don't know if you answer this question I'm going to ask, but... So imagine someone who knows the language uh, enough to speak fluently, but it's still a struggle. Uh, in order to end that struggle or build correct uh, sentences is, is in a spontaneous conversation. What is your advice? My advice is always to slow down the conversation. Yeah. What do I mean? <laughs> what do I mean by that? is to allow ourselves to breathe because often um, when we are in a conversation with someone in a, in a spontaneous conversation, we'll kind of prepare. Um, we bring a certain, we bring our nerves, our anxiety a little bit higher because there is a little bit of stress. We are not sure, we are not 100% sure of our language, of our ability. So when there is a little bit extra stress, extra anxiety, we have less access to all our knowledge. We have this kind of tunnel vision, not super radical, but when the more stressed we are, the less, the less we see or the, the less we access our knowledge or, you know. So when we slow down the conversation we slow down ourselves in a way we allows us to to breathe and that seems a very silly thing but i think i don't know about you but when i am nervous i don't breathe i can that's, talk without breathing i just <laughs> that's a very interesting point because i notice when i'm uh, in a difficult situation or even when i'm very tired i can't communicate uh, really well and now I want to remember this to just breathe and uh, slow down yeah so just take a breather when someone is saying something and you feel like sometimes I don't know if you relate to this I am obviously talking from my experience and the, the experience of some of my 
clients is we want to respond immediately. Someone asks us, asks us a question and we want to respond. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And usually. Think, yeah. So I think that what is um, important is, okay, I have the question. You can wait a second or three. Me to take a second to breathe. And in that moment, the, the answer starts to, to pop in our brain. <laughs> and we can respond from a place of um, something, from a place of, or oh, from a state of, of a bit more relaxed. And also um, that helps us be in our body. And what I mean by that is um, that I think that sometimes we have conversations only in involving our brains. Mm. It's just all very cerebral. Um, and what happens then is that uh, we don't know what's going on in our body and our body very often has information that wants to be taken into account. It could be discomfort. Sometimes we are feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes we are feeling a little bit nervous. Sometimes we are feeling a weird vibe, you know, <laughs> something is off. Yeah. And that has to be brought into the conversation or into the or or that has to be taken into account. Let's say that I am talking to you and I am feeling strange. Well, depending on what the situation is, I could say, okay, I am not feeling okay. I think I, I need to go, can we end the conversation here? Or maybe I, if, I am, if I know you a little bit, I can say, hey, I'm feeling a bit strange. I don't know what's going on. And we can talk about that and we can fix it so that once our bodies are relaxed and we are feeling okay, we can continue having a conversation that is, you know, that's coming from a place of both of us being okay, both of us being respectful of each other, both of us being respectful of our own experience of the conversation. And then we can have a conversation that is honest, that it is real. And, and, and yeah, I think that, yeah, it's more yeah. interesting. <laughs> that, that's, um, that is very interesting because um, it's very important to bring awareness yeah. to our body in any situation. Um, including when uh, you are in conversation with other people. Um, sometimes it, it is possible to be in a conversation with people that you don't feel comfortable and it's okay to uh, walk out and say, I'm sorry, I, I need to go out or just communicate with them if uh, it's possible. It I'm is possible and it should be a normal thing to do, I believe. Your approach is very um, expressive. It's about how we express ourselves through language. Yeah, we express beyond words. And that's something that we've been, we discussed, we touched when we are talking about body language. Um, but my job is in everything that connects with words, the verbal expression, um, because um, that's where where I, I've developed tools and that, that's where my, my work has been. I have been a language teacher for many, many years and now I moved on into, into this other uh, realm of communication through language. 
or non-native um, language, I think is um, my dream would be if, if we in general could communicate authentically. And that's what I mentioned before, using words that mean something to us that are not rehearsed or cliche or, you know, because that is what I believe allows us to connect more. Mm -hmm. and, and I can connect with you if you are giving me, I don't know, if you want to express whatever, you want to express a, a memory that you had using a very vivid language. I almost, my, my wish would be that all of us, we would express in poetry <laughs> <laughs> because you relate to that. You, you read a poem and as long as you understand the words and, and sentences make sense, you relate to that because you can um, you can um, experience you can understand the experience of the other person, right? If they are yeah. yeah, I'm totally agree with you. Like I prepare question today. I prefer to come and talk and have a conversation and not do that. Yeah. Um, but I think um, it requires some sort of a really confidence to do that because sometimes I can do that if uh, I have I met an artist before or I um, have understanding of what they do so it's easier for me to do that but that's um, that's something that is ideal I know I know but we have to aim high <laughs> <laughs> okay um, but no I, I'm Okay, so but exactly, you mentioned confidence. That's essential. And also, um, I think it requires maturity or a maturity in the sense of self-awareness and also awareness of the other person um, experience to, to be able to communicate like that. And confidence is something that... Um, is achievable is something that we can practice confidence yes yeah yes. yeah what i'm very interested is um your poet yeah so would you be open to read a poem oh god <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i would yes i don't have anything prepared but i can um pull up something quickly yeah i I started writing poetry um, when I was a teenager. I think that many of us <laughs> started yeah. then, you know, when you are very passionate and all these emotions are happening. Um, so I started writing in Spanish. And then something interesting is that I stopped when I was, um, when I started to live in other countries. So when I wasn't communicating in my native language for a while, because I live in first in France, then in English-speaking countries. Um, and then um, a few years ago, maybe about five, eight, seven years ago, I started to write in, in English. And that was such a, an interesting experience. And of course, I had all my judgments saying, my critics saying, oh, you cannot really write poetry in English who are you to be right your English is not that good and who are you to be writing poetry in English but yeah. once you work through those blockages and all that 
was such an interesting experience to see the different images that writing in English evolved in me as opposed to the, the images I had in Spanish. So that for me, that's why I bring that to my, to my work because I find this so interesting and enriching for, for the conversation, for the, you know, for the it communication. Um, so I, I start educate myself in some uh, topics. So there are certain vocabulary they use that I learned those vocabulary um, in English. I don't necessarily know those vocabulary or the equivalent of that in my own language. So yeah. when, if I want to write about that, I am more comfortable to write in English. I totally get that because I, I've been living away from, from Spain for um, many years or 15 years or something like that. And I go to Spain, I visit my parents, but um, I am not living, I am not existing in Spanish anymore, right? So there are words that do not come to mind anymore. A part of me, I feel that I am losing my Spanishness because I'm, I'm not practicing it. I'm not um, embodying it anymore. And like it, it, it is a challenging um, experience I find as, as um, immigrants or expatriates over time, there is a really interesting, I don't know, <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't want to judge it, but that there is something that is happening with, with your identity that in a way you are expanding and growing, but you are also losing parts of you that because the communication, the words are not coming to you. That means the concepts uh, that was, the concept that was attached to that word is not in your native language anymore. It is in another language. And what does it mean? And, and what, it, what does it mean for, for your identity and your expression? It is an interesting yeah. evolution. <laughs> identity always change and Identity is something that even you can uh, pick it. You want to have this role or you don't. It's, yeah, it's not something fixed. Not at all, it's fluid. And I find sometimes that um, with identity, we tend to put ourselves in a box and nationality tends to be one. But what happens when you are living away of your native country for a certain amount of time. Are you still only that or you are also? And just to say that, so I don't know how comfortable in my case, I feel Irish. <laughs> yeah. Right? But when you say that, there is a reaction. And I find that sometimes the person receiving, depending of depending on what their, what what their nationality is, they may reject that. They might judge that and say, "What? Well, but you are not born here. No, you are you are Spanish because your passport says that." And so like, "Well, yeah, yeah, I am Spanish, but I am also Irish." And there is nobody's business. That sounds a bit aggressive, but the, there is nobody's. Nobody else should have an opinion on how you describe your own identity and how fluid you, you are. Exactly. There is something also 
is um, there is this being in between that I'm not Iranian enough anymore and I'm not Irish enough. No. Yeah, and there, there is going to be the, the in-between places that you mentioned, that's something that I find um, it is the perception of the other. Like it's not really, well, it could be you. I, I sometimes find that I am in between. Yeah. Um, but in general, um, the idea of not being enough of one thing or not being enough, not being enough uh, Spanish enough, not being Irish enough, it is coming from the other person. This, the, how they are judging me. It's not coming from me. If at some point in my life I realize that I am Irish, there is no, not, and I'm not Irish enough. How, how is that even a, a thing? How, how can that be possible? I am either Irish or not. And that's my decision. I, I am happy or I, I should be happy to, to adopt it as, um, as my identity. And that's one thing. It is when you are in relation to another person that that person may or may not pass a judgment of how you decide to describe your identity. But that's them. Like, you can be annoyed yeah. or not. <laughs> I totally understand what you're saying. Um, but I feel... A lot of times, other people's judgment comes from their own projection. Oh, yeah. If somebody tell me something that it doesn't feel very nice, if I, I bring awareness that this is a, the projection, then I can be in peace with myself. Exactly. And that's the thing. I, um, I love that you said that because very often when we communicate, even if we believe we are talking about the other person, we are talking about ourselves. Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So, um, and that's why I mentioned before that um, to have an authentic conversation, one needs to be mature. And what I mean by maturity is being self-aware enough of what you believe, what what your ideals are, and what 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 where there is judgment in you and what kind of judgment are you having of the other pe people and what that, what that judgment says about you, what are you really believing? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If I have like judgment um, straight away, I bring awareness to that and then I start thinking, what am I projecting? Exactly. So if I say something to you, it's actually I'm seeing it in myself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fascinating in a way. <laughs> so <laughs> so interesting. Just the questioning, right? Is um being self-aware enough to question everything that you think or everything that you verbalize or every judgment that you project onto onto another person, questioning that and understanding why that, that is there i really like sometimes i often like like to question about well, why do i think this why is this belie belief in me <laughs> first of all is this something that i have created is something that is cultural is something that i learned from my parents why is this here and then I start in a way dismantling it if i find it is aggressive or negative or keeping it like, like what's okay I believe this 
this not harming anyone or me well let's yeah kind of stay <laughs> i'm thinking about when i was shy person and for many years i would fight it <laughs> i would prepare myself when i was going to meet someone or i would force myself to be in situations where i had to not be shy situations that would really be stressful for a, for a shy person like being in groups or talking in public or whatever I was super super violent <laughs> with myself I, I, I thought well I don't want to be shy so I have to um, have a battle against this trait mm. of myself and for many years I kept being shy like I, I, it didn't really help I could fake um, a little bit in certain situations if I was feeling a little bit safe I would be able to yeah. to fake a little bit but then the tension and the stress um, made the experience be super uncomfortable something that I wouldn't enjoy at some point over the years I realized like well this is not taking me anywhere this is not as um this is not sustainable it's not nice so at some point I decided to accept that I was a shy person. Magic. <laughs> In the yeah. moment I accepted that I was shy and I was even when I went into conversations with people, I would say, hey, I'm a shy person. <laughs> like exactly. In the moment, I, yeah, I'm shy. So in that moment, the shyness slowly started to fade away. Not immediately, I would say probably a few more years of shyness, but a shyness that felt a little bit less bad. Like, I, you know, I had my shyness as a friend and I, there were even times um, a friend told me, well, what's the positive in this negative, so-called negative trait? What is, why is there? And there was protection. My shyness wanted to keep me safe. And then you learn, or I learn to be grateful for that shyness and saying, hey, thank you for that, but I don't need these to keep me safe anymore. And it, it was just some, something so simple as accepting and being grateful for it. Because in the moment you um, accept it, because when you don't accept it, one part of you wants to fight with the shyness and say, go away, I, I, I don't want to be shy. And the other part of you that is shy and say, that's not going to happen. I do my best to make you fail. And these two are in the fight. And in the moment you accept it, it means that you actually open your heart to listen. Why I'm shy. Maybe there is a reason. Maybe he wants to keep me safe. Maybe he wants to protect me. Now, that's very interesting. Like it's, it's just you understanding if you experience that. And it's not complicated it's actually very simple yeah yeah it's and it's about listening like I really love that you said that <laughs> yeah and and also coming from yeah it is coming from the past and um what it is interesting is that we have created a, a very very safe um society it's the, the society of well-being we are comfortable we have our apartments we are protected from the elements we are in, in, in very, very often we are protected from everything so much that we are not even allowing, like for, 
in, in for example, for this pandemic, we I think that it has broken all our um, our framework. Like we we used to feel so safe, and now this happens, and we are not safe, and we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> we are going <laughs> completely crazy with it, and and that's the thing. Um, what was I think that what was real in the past, maybe in the past, our ancestors um developed these tools and this is safe and this is not safe being lazy for example or the, the shadow things um were dangerous but we should be aware enough and questioning enough to question ourselves is this real now is That's this particular great. trade a, a risk right now because in the past, maybe a person who was the different one being the weird one being out there or being the what uh, had the risk of being um, expelled, being the outcast, being out of the tribe, and then you die. Like that, there was a real. Uh, it's always about the death, right? Like that's so interesting. Of dying. Yeah. But now, being the person, maybe not. Well, now you can be the weird one, but it's still being able to live. Obviously, we we need community and we need our our group of people, but maybe our tribe can be found somewhere else. So it is not limited to location. So right now, this particular trait that was the shadow and negative in the past, now it's fine and I can still go on living happily. You know, so it is questioning all these things, these beliefs that we have that are passed on. If, if I believe um, there is something I need to be afraid of, I'm right, because I believe that. Yeah. But if yeah. I believe... <laughs> that I'm safe and my life is fine. Again, I'm right, because I believe that. Yeah, totally. And, and, and that's, it sounds sometimes, it sounds kind of, you know, um, the idea that whatever you believe is real, but it is, it is true. <laughs> it is. It is true. Yeah. Like, this is, course, this is my choice. Do I want to live my life from fear? It is very important to have these, um, to lose the fear of dying. I think that uh, we're going to die in, in any way. And, and I think that sometimes the relationship we, ha we have with death, and I'm talking about, um, yeah, Western societies is, is, we are very scared of dying. <laughs> so, as if it was the end and well then you have spirituality and different beliefs and you can believe whatever you want but if we lose the fear of death our lives are much more rich i believe and of course we are animals and and um, we have the i don't know what the word is the self-preservation kind of sense and that's there and we should listen to it but that's in our body so when we when there is a real danger we know it and and exactly. we run or, or we do something in general so that is there so why i think that we need to trust our bodies more that we know when when there is a real danger our body is going to sense it and we will be able to and then be a little bit more trusting with with the rest of things like you know yeah. Being surrendering, surrendering a little bit to 
to what's going on and, and not being scared that everything is a danger because more often than not is not we don't we don't live in we live in a very safe environment in general and of yeah. course there, there are limitations there <laughs> so there is something that is in our nature and want to keep us safe and is valid and there is something that is in just our mind and it's not valid exactly um i think that our minds create stories out of repetition or passed on beliefs and many other things um but being in our mind prevents us when we okay so let's say that i am super anxious i'm leaving the house and i am thinking everyone in the street is a risk to me everything in the moment i leave the house the weather the every person has it is a potential danger it's a potential murderer everything if i am going with this state of mind i'm going to be tense <laughs> i'm going to be so tense that if that if if a boss comes towards me i'm not going to sense it because i'm here i'm tense i'm like i'm in tunnel tunnel vision so i am not seeing i'm not accessing the the full range of my awareness you need to be relaxed and trusting you, you need to be in your body and trusting that you're fine yeah as a, as a natural state to be able to to see danger it's something that you find it within yourself yeah yeah and it is about trusting that whatever happens to you is right and if you have to die then that's part of life and if you maybe the plan for you or or maybe your life was meant to be short and it is heartbreaking and it is hard but i don't think that that is a problem so i think okay i do believe that every human has a purpose and they, they are here for a reason they contribute in one way or another to whatever it is that's happening in this planet <laughs> so maybe i am meant to have a, a 40 year old life but maybe in these 40 years i am meant to touch these people and make these people or influence these people to experience this and as long as i am doing that well if i have to die when i am 40 then i have to die when i am 40 i'd rather live until 90 but i mean <laughs> you know it's life is meant to be lived and 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 it's the, the, the purpose of one's life i believe is just to to be on purpose like just yeah. be aware of how your life affects or impacts others as long as you're in there and you're trying to not have a negative impact on others and the planet <laughs> I think that dying is not maybe something like for me when I go to nature or even mm -hmm. watch a documentary about nature I am always in awe I feel like um, in the same time I'm special and I'm nothing and yeah. how everything is so complex so beautiful and it's just it's just so amazing and then 
I feel like I am special and I can do something with my life. And I feel like I'm nothing because all this complexity, complexity, beauty and everything around me that is surrounded me, I am just part of that. And I'm not separate or special. I, I agree with that. And I, I, for me, it's the same thing. It's, I find that um, we're, we're just a part of, well, just, I should remove the just, we are a part of life in this planet. And maybe you can expand it to other planets as well. But we are part of this. Yeah. And that is, we are a unique part Yes, and we need to, to, to understand what I, our uniqueness is so we can do what we are meant to be doing. But we are just a part. That, that's it. We are like a tree. We are like a bird. <laughs> yeah, and it's no more value. It's fascinating to see how all these are working together. Sometimes I understand where this is coming from because as you mentioned in um, a few minutes ago, it's everything it's coming from the tribe uh, that it condition us to uh, behave in a certain way so you you can't be um, really have access to that authentic self or be unique because you're living from fear and nobody talk about that because they prefer that you have that fear um so i wanted two things in there one also we should think of is fear all this negative and no fear is keeping us safe so it's got something good about fear and we have to be grateful for a little bit of fear or <clears throat> with having fear under under control i there is this uh, metaphor a friend um, or i read somewhere i don't know that um you have all these um personas or personalities or all these elements in your life in, as you are driving and you shouldn't be leaving fear driving your seat but he here I am giving <laughs> I'm making fear a male um, but fear should be in in the car as well and and fear can be there giving you its opinion hey there is this risk this is and you can listen and say, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm going to follow or mm, no, whatever. I'm just going to go straight ahead. So fear has a role. The, the problem, and, and I totally am with you. Um, when we are in fear, when we are living in fear, we are easily controllable. Because if someone, and it tends to be people in power who want to keep the power, <laughs> they will tell you, hey, this is super dangerous, you can die, or you are not going to have these minimal, minimum basic things. If you do this, then you are going to die. We are in fear, where we follow those rules. But if we are questioning that fear, if we are questioning that voice that brings fear and assess individually, well, is this right? Should I follow this? or should I not, then we have, a, 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 I think, a better chance to, <laughs> to, to go well, like to, to yeah, to have a, a life that is worth living. Exactly, exactly. It's like opening our hearts. 
when you explain about your book, weaving words, the alchemy of language. Yeah. Yes, it's um, that book's about trusting your heart and, and communicating. It is about um, people who are learning languages or who are communicating in a language that is not their native tongue. Um, it is about listening. I think at some point I, I say, shut down your brain, <laughs> which may sound counterproductive, but <laughs> I don't think it is. And open your heart and listen to your heart and listen to your intuition. Because when you have um, been studying a language or communicating in a language, you already have knowledge in there. I'm not talking to a person who has no knowledge in the language. I'm talking to someone who has been existing, living and studying a language. And there is so much um, valuable information that comes from our hearts and our guts, our intuition, you know, this gut feeling. Yeah. There are neurons in there. When I read somewhere that there were neurons in our hearts and there are neurons in our guts, I was my mind blew. <laughs> we, we don't have intelligence only in our brains. We have an intelligent body. There is an intelligence in every part of our body. So we need to be in it mm. and open in our hearts and being open and trusting to the gut feelings we have. And maybe someone is telling us, you need to be scared of this. This is a danger and you have to do this to avoid, avoid this danger. And then your reaction to that information is saying, mm, no, you feel tense, you feel constrained. Your body is telling you, well, you need to consider this. You need to assess this. You, you don't need to trust it 100%. Yeah. The information that it, or maybe your body is saying, now, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true for me. And you follow that, that um, indication, that direction. It's fine. But you need to access your, how you feel. I, your body speaks. Like sometimes you feel tense and, and constrained or you feel that, you feel a pressure in your chest or, or something nerves in your stomach or that is information that's 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 so important when i was doing uh, some reading in your website you have a workshop yeah and uh, you talk about compassionate communication and none which i loved yeah um and we also have like peaceful parenting which is like um just negotiate with your child. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, what I mean, well, in nonviolent communication, I, I realize even in myself that violent, violence is very common in our communication towards others and even to ourselves. And um, what I mean and what I like to work with my clients and with myself as well, if I'm honest, is this uh, trying to bring empathy and trying to... to um, not be violent in my expression to someone else. So saying things passing judgment on other person is violent. Correcting someone else's expression is violent. So it is about taking a step back and, and, and checking with ourselves, like, why am I correcting? Why do I feel the need to correct this person? That means that I don't think that they belong to my group. 
that I think that they are not good enough or that I am separating myself. And so it is about questioning again. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think you're totally right because I have a Spanish friend and he has a very lovely accent. And the way he talks and the way he expresses himself, I just love to listen to him. And I never feel I want to correct him or I want to say, comment anything he says. I don't because I do really love the way he talks. And because I have acceptance of who he is, then I don't have a need to do that. Yeah. And when there is that need, that need has to be questioned. So, for example, um, that need tends to come um, when it is when someone is talking in our native language. And I have experienced myself in the past. I used to be a, a Spanish language teacher. Um, so when someone was communicating in Spanish with me, I had to restrain myself when someone said something that wasn't correct. I, I, want, I wanted to correct them because, and that is super aggressive. I was thinking, oh, the way I speak is the way to speak, mm. which is just yeah. quite... No. I do have two questions. I know it's, it's a long time we're talking, but I know you do one-to-one -one coaching. We talk about uh, one of the way you work is through confidence and you, you work through blockages. And then another one is authentic voice that you work with the language mindsets and then the poetry therapy, yeah. um, which is mostly related to emotions. Yeah. So uh, I think you explain, but if there is something that you can talk about this because I know uh, probably somebody listening to this wants to work with you. Well, well, thank you for the question. Um, I, in terms of the one-to-one -one coaching for confidence, is something that we've mentioned. I, I find that confidence is something that has that um, relies on the belief or the trust, or uh, when you trust yourself you express confidently. So that requires um, questioning what blockages are there, what beliefs are there, why you don't feel that you can have a conversation in a non-native language. So it is through conversation, it is coaching and um, therapies, a similar uh, approach. So what I do is give tools over the different sessions different kind of challenges, kind of homework, like um, in, in, the, in between sessions, I suggest the client to, you know, um, practice different things. One example is, I'm thinking about my, my um, few clients, um, is they were scared of speaking in Spanish in a group of native Spanish speakers because they felt that they, that they were not good enough. So my question was, well, if you reverse, reverse the situation, let's say that you are the native and someone else comes in and feels insecure and they feel that they cannot talk, what would you like this person to do with you, towards you? And sometimes it's, well, I would like the person to tell me that they are not feeling comfortable, that they are feeling a little bit scared or that they need that we talk a little bit slower. So it is just instead of shutting down and not speaking, yeah. it is being open and vulnerable and say, hey, I am 
a little bit unsafe, I'm a little bit nervous. Can you speak slower? And that, that in, a, in the moment that happens, you're going to understand better. Then your confidence is going to, to increase a little bit because you, under, you start understanding. So it is different tools that you can do so that you, your confidence starts growing. So that was just an example. In terms of authenticity, is, is, um, we work with poetry. <laughs> so because I think it's necessary, you know, and um, I help the, the client to find their own voice, find their own words through different activities. And um, also to, to question the beliefs they may have about their expressions. So for example, um, I find that for people who have, for example, Spanish as a heritage, heritage language, so they may live in the United States and they have, um, their origin is, is Spanish. They come from, uh, well, their parents come from a Latin American country but they do not speak in Spanish well. And they find themselves in this in-between place. They are not um, North American enough. They are not Latino enough. So they feel their confidence is, is not good. <laughs> it's yeah. not very high and self-esteem is not very high. So how do I help them? Um, by questioning, then start questioning these beliefs. Why am I not? North American enough or why do I think that I am not uh, Hispanic enough and, and disintegrating this, these beliefs and then we start finding our own particular way of expression of expressing and that comes from um, I suggest exercises that that can or that are done in between the sessions that are more, mostly around poetry and finding your own vocabulary that um, your own images, because I think that we have, um, according to our experience, uh, let's say, for example, how would you describe a, describe a breakup, right? Yeah. Well, every person is going to describe in a different way because they, they, their senses in that particular moment were sensing different things. So it is just bringing your own experience, bringing your senses, to be able to express your experience. And that is about finding your own authentic voice, your own imagery in a way. And poetry therapy sessions, they are therapy. So, and it is developmental therapy. So through poetry. So I would come with a poem for you to read. We would read the poem and that is going, and you're going to understand and interpret the poem in, a, in an individual way because that's what we do. There is no one single interpretation of anything, on, of any piece of art, it is the same. So yeah. poetry, that poem is going to evoke something in you. You're going to understand that poem, poem in, a, in an individual way. And that is connected with something that you believe or something that it is relevant for you and then from there we start doing um, free writing because it is proven that when you try to write poetry um, you are accessing your symbols you're accessing the unconscious and that is the sweet spot for, for this yeah. therapy because in the, and then in the moment you share that poem 
with me in this case or with a group. I do group um, poetry therapy sessions. Uh, it's even better. Um, when, uh, when you share that with the group, uh, the other people or the therapist interpretation is kind of mirroring back and then you are aware, you are, start be, you, are, you are starting being aware of all these unconscious things, of all these shadows, of all these things that you were not really touching. <laughs> and that's the way uh, just to be uh, more self-aware. Yeah, I, I love your approach. I wish I knew you 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so what do you do when you're not working with client or you're not writing poem or you're not dealing with language? I go in nature. <laughs> I like walking. I go for walks and ideally I like to go into in nature. I am very attracted to the sea. So I find that's my, my sweet space. Um, and I also like to go drinking coffee. Mm. <laughs> go for a coffee is my treat. And, and that's, that's what I do. That's what I do. I like to have a very slow life, a slow paced life. And just, you know, sitting in the garden, looking at the, at the birds. I discovered since I have a garden just recent. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's just like meditation. It's good for the soul. Where our audience can find you? I know you have a YouTube channel, you have a book. And I, I have my website. So Maria Ortega Garcia, which is my full name. <laughs> dot com and then I am in Instagram and that's same maria.ortega.carcia YouTube the same name and uh, yeah I'm there I'm 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 online <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much I really enjoy talking to you thank you thank you for having me I really enjoy talking to you Thank you.